Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that Suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood much more, shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we pray that in these next few moments you would open up this passage to us, your word to us. Though we speak of the creed, it is your word that is our authority in our lives. And so will you cause your Holy Spirit to be our teacher. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The forgiveness of sins. And of course the the implication is I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Now why this phrase? Why out of all the things that could be said about salvation does it simply say the forgiveness of sins. Why not, I believe in salvation by faith alone or salvation by grace through faith. Why not speak of of justification, sanctification, glorification? Why not speak of other things that might flesh out salvation even more fully. Well, as we've been saying, we we need to understand that uh, this creed does not contain every single thing that could be said about each of these subjects. No creed does 
nor could any creed do that. That would be impossible. That's why we have the Bible that fleshes out all of this. But why, of all the things that could be said about salvation, does it say the forgiveness of sins? I believe, I'm convinced that it is because that's the key to salvation. Without it, as, as one writer said, there can be no knowledge of God, no new birth, no place in his family, no holiness, and no heaven. So let's look into that brief statement. And I, I want to tell you right up front, and if you saw the title, you saw The Forgiveness of Sins, Part 1. And uh, I'm, I'm a little bit proud of myself that I, I, I've been able to hold off until this one to do these sermons in two parts because there's so much in each one of these statements. But what we're going to do is uh, take... Uh, forgiveness and look at it. it this week we're going to look at our forgiveness why do we need forgiveness how lost we are and be reminded of that and then next week we're going to look at forgiveness of others that I believe must be the application of that statement. But before we can get to that application, we've got to understand just how lost we are without Christ. So what I want to do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you uh, five aspects of that. So obviously we can't camp out on any of these, uh, but but. All are, are essential uh, in terms of understanding uh, how lost we are. The first thing that we've got to grasp is that sin is universal. It's absolutely universal. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3, earlier. Verse 10, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. So I, I, don't, I don't know how the statement could be any more inclusive than uh, what Paul say, says there in Romans 3. But, but that's throughout the scripture. There are no exceptions to this. And we will see later on that if you think you're an exception, well, John says, you're a liar. You see the problem with that, don't you? If you're a liar, then you can't be an exception to that statement that I'm, I'm the one exception, I'm, I'm not a sinner. So uh, we start with the fact 
and we're going to see this part in a moment, but all of us in tracing our family tree, all of us go back to the same father, Adam. Everyone in the world. And because of that, as we will see, there are no exceptions to that which we inherit from our representative. Secondly, first of all, sin is universal. Secondly, sin is breaking God's law. There's so many places I could have uh, gone for this, but in Galatians 3 verse 10, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So, so that even speaks of the punishment. But, but then the question would be, well, okay, there, there's a, a, a lot of laws. Which ones? Surely there, there's some that I can, I can get by with, with breaking. After all, we are human. Of course, that's our problem, right? We are human. Well, James puts it this way. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. You see how, how simple when it comes to, to sin the, the scripture is. At this point it says you don't even have to worry about how many you've broken because you, you know, pointing at all of us, you're guilty of breaking the whole law. You might say, well, I can only think of one law that I ever broke. And James says, yes, that's the point. The law is perfect if you break any aspect of it, you have broken the perfect law. And by the way, if you can only think of one, <laughs> okay, I don't even need to go there. You've, you, you've completed the punchline already. We all know that we have all broken the law many times. So sin's universal. It's breaking God's law. And we are guilty of both original and actual sin. We're going into theology here. Guilty of both original and actual sin. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one Man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So there you have, uh, in, in one place, the, the sin that we got because we're related to Adam, that made, because he was our representative, why he was our representative, that, that was God's prerogative. He works through representatives. 
And by the way, if you've got a problem with that, if you say, I don't like him working through representatives, I want to represent myself, don't, don't forget that there was a second Adam. And that second Adam is our only hope. And that's Christ himself. And he was our representative. Thank you, Lord, that you work through representatives so that we don't have to pay for our own sin. So you have original sin, and that's sin that came into the world through Adam. We are in what's called a fallen world. And so we are are born with a sin nature. And then what do we do? We do what our nature dictates. We actually sin. So that's what actual sin is. And as often as not, that's what we tend to, to think of as our actual sin. Jesus came and dealt with all of it, with both. But we are guilty of both. Listen to what John Piper says. The problem with the human race is, is not most deeply that everyone does various kinds of sins. He says that's not even our biggest problem. Those sins are real. They are huge. They are enough to condemn us. But Paul is very, con- uh, is, and Paul is very concerned about them. But the deepest problem is that behind all our depravity and all our guilt and all our sinning, there is a deep, mysterious connection with Adam whose sin became our sin and whose judgment became our judgment. So that's the problem. There we have that that nature that dictates how we are going to act, how we will respond. So we're guilty of both original and actual sin. And then fourth, Jesus further defined sin. And this is not good news for people that think they are pretty good because uh, all they've done is, um, or they, they don't do outward sin very often. In other words, if you're a really, really good person and, you know, you're, you're really good at covering things up too because nobody really sees you sin much. And so sometimes people like that can feel kind of righteous, kind of good. And Jesus says, there's something more you need to know here. He says in Matthew 5, you know not to murder, but look, if you're angry with your brother, you call him a fool, you're guilty of murder. He says, you know not to commit adultery, but if you lust after another, you are guilty of adultery. And so, here's the reality. 
some of you, perhaps many of us, this morning, by that definition, before worship, committed murder or committed adultery. If we are to believe what Jesus says, and he will always tell us the truth. So in terms of our lostness, what are the results? Well, there are always those, and, and some from a theological perspective will actually make this argument that, okay, yes, we sin, and because of that sin, we are sick and in need of a remedy. Sounds like it could be true. Let's listen to Paul. Ephesians 2.1. And you, he's talking to people about their status before Christ. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all live. Paul loved long sentences. Who We all uh, once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul would have none of it. He would not tolerate someone saying, yeah, I'm, I'm sick and you know what? I'm sick and I got to get myself to the hospital and get fixed up. Paul says, no, you, you got it wrong here. You're way beyond sick. You were dead. Dead people don't get themselves to the doctor. You can't. And so he, he nails that for anyone that would want to think that they've done part of what's necessary for salvation. Now, you know what? If you were sick and you got yourself to the doctor, you could pat yourself on the back and say, wasn't I smart to get to the doctor and, and get healed up and, and uh, I'll just move on and next time I you know, fall off the wagon and get sick again, then I'll just do that again. And he says, no, you're dead. And that's the problem. John Miller, you've heard me quote him before, was a pastor. He's now with the Lord. But he used to say, cheer up, you're worse than you think you are. <laughs> you're more sinful and wicked than you ever dared believe. I'm going to tell you the rest of his statement later on. 
But he's right. Even if you're saying, okay, I, I get it, I'm a, I'm a sinner, we really don't get it yet. But that's how lost we are. The bottom line is that you're in a position of debt. We're going to look at a passage next week about that. You're in a position of debt that you can never pay back. It is a thousand maxed out credit cards with 28% interest and you're making $10,000 a year. Every second you go into more debt without Christ. And that's the good news. That's how lost we are. But in order to understand the forgiveness of sin, we've also got to understand the finished work of Christ. And that is the amazingly great news. 1 Peter 3, verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins. That's the infinite part. Unlike the Old Testament sacrifices that were made over and over and over again, and they had to keep being made because they could not ultimately pay for sin. They pointed to something that would Someone that would. And so his sacrifice was infinite. It was not made over and over again. Jesus is not hanging on the cross. The sacrifice was made once for all. Further in 1 Peter 3.18 the substitutionary atonement. I told you we were getting into theology. The substitutionary atonement for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous, that's Christ, for the unrighteous, that's me, that's us, that he might bring us to God. That's the substitute. The righteous for the unrighteous is what we call the substitutionary atonement. We often at communion read Isaiah 53, which reiterates what a substitute was. Let me read to you Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The easiest way to describe the uh, substitutionary atonement is that Jesus 
lived the life we should have lived. And he died the death that we deserved to die. That's the substitute. And then to understand the finished work of of Jesus, we've got to understand justification. I read earlier from Romans 5, verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Now, there is a way to teach justification. Maybe you've heard this sometime. And if, if you heard it in Sunday school right before you came here, I, I didn't know it was taught this, that way today. And, and it's not totally wrong, but, but let me explain. Sometimes when uh, people try to describe justification, and it's a, it's a good start, they take the word justified and they say, what, what that means is just as if I'd never sinned. Okay, have you heard that? And that's a good thing. That's a, that's a good start on the definition. And it fits with our, our whole idea of forgiveness of sin. My only problem is it doesn't go far enough for what justification is. Because if, if all we were before God is as if we'd never sinned, it would be like we would, we would come to him and before Christ we were a big minus. We had a big minus here because of our sin. And then if it was just as if I'd never sinned, then we moved to well, a zero, <laughs> okay? But what do we have to offer to him? Nothing. We're zero. And so, what takes care of that? Well, not only is it just as if I'd never sinned, but the righteousness of Christ is then given to us his righteousness, his goodness. He did not sin. And so our sin is put on him. His righteousness is put on us. And so we are a plus before God. And it's just as if I'd never sinned, but not only that, as if I had uh, a righteousness because of Christ in me, I am as good as Jesus in his eyes. Do you believe that? It's an amazing thought. You, we um, can think back to when Jesus was baptized. And maybe you remember what the father said at the baptism. He said, this is my son whom I love. 
and with whom I'm well pleased. Now, I don't have any problem picturing that. He he deserved that. The father's son who did everything perfectly that the father called him to do. But let me tell you something, at least that blows me away, is that when we're in Christ, because of the substitutionary atonement, because of our justification, the Father now says about us, you're the one I love and with whom I'm well pleased what he says about you remember how lost outside of Christ and if if you're trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life he says you're my beloved child with whom I am well pleased not because of what you've done but because of Christ in us that's justification that is the result of the substitutionary atonement. So how do we become one of those in Christ? I've used that term several times. Well, in terms of forgiveness, we need to ask for forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then here it is that I alluded to earlier. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar. His word is not in us. You're kidding yourself. If you still want to say that in my own goodness, I don't need a savior. Psalm 51.4. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Too often a a statement like I I believe in the forgiveness of sins can be construed negatively. Let me give another perspective. Forgiveness is about receiving his Kindness. Romans 2 verse 4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Remember the statement by uh, John Miller, cheer up, you're worse than you think you are. You're more sinful and, and wicked than you ever dared believe. The last part of that statement is you are far more loved and accepted than you ever dared to hope. If you're trusting in Christ alone. I don't want to guilt you into the kingdom. I don't want to guilt you into repentance scare you into repentance, none of that. Paul says, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. 
And when we understand the kindness of the Father to, through his Son, pay for our sin on the cross, it will enable us to rejoice, to say with joy when we say the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray together. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Lord, will you cause by the work of your Holy Spirit, your kindness to draw your people to repentance. Not because we deserve it, but because Jesus does. And we pray in his precious name, amen.